Hello and welcome to the Pandemic Puppy Podcast brought to you by Journey Dog Training and the Pandemic Puppy Raising Support Group on Facebook. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I'm super excited to be here with you. We are covering puppy raising right from the start on this podcast. And although I'm a professional dog trainer, this is my first time raising a puppy too. So I'm right in the trenches with you guys on the good, the bad, the cute, and that's stinky. So um, quick shout out to our patrons over on Patreon, including our newest patron, Mahela Gurnett Dot. So if you are interested in submitting questions at the end of each podcast episode, make sure you check that out over at patreon.com slash pandemic puppy. So we were also going to start reading reviews from listeners, but no one's reviewed us yet. So take a moment to review the podcast over on the Apple App Store, and we will read those aloud each episode. Now down to business. We are talking to Sarah Dixon today about bringing your puppy home and getting off on the right paw. From the moment you leave the breeder or shelter, you're starting to teach your puppy about how to live and grow with you. And Sarah is also going to talk a little bit about setting your puppy up for success with a schedule and rest and play that really works for everyone. So welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Hi, welcome. Cool. So Sarah is a dog trainer and behavior consultant with nearly two decades of experience. She currently lives in British Columbia, Canada, and runs her own business, Barks and Recreation Pet Services, which is a great name. Um, Sarah specializes in a variety of complex behavior problems, including leash reactivity, resource guarding, separation anxiety, aggression towards dogs or people, and severe fear or anxiety. She's a multiple-time published author in publications such as the IABC Journal, APDT Chronicle of the Dog, IABC CP journal, clickertraining.com, and the book Better Together, an anthology of modern dog trainers. She presents workshops when it's not COVID times or remotely <laughs> throughout North America. She's got several online courses with the IABC and has prevented, presented multiple times at the APDT conference. She has experienced coaching dogs, their owners, and fellow animal trainers in a variety of formats, including group classes, private lessons, distance coaching, day training, board and train, and her own podcast, The Hair of the Dog. Right, yes. Cool. So, you know, let's kind of jump right into it. What can we kind of expect from a brand new puppy behavior-wise in the first few hours or days? Yeah. um, I mean, I think it's going to depend on the puppy. Some puppies might be quite sleepy. Um, They Mm -hmm. like to suck you in and think, oh, look how cute and calm and quiet I am. And then they wake up. (laughs) and go crazy. Um, But some puppies uh, might be actually quite seemingly quite calm because, um, you know, obviously going to a new home and leaving their litter and and mom can be quite stressful. And some are going to respond to that stress by being sleepy. That can be a -hmm. a coping skill or a response to stress. And some puppies um, might be actually completely, totally wired. Um, So you Mm -hmm. might see one or the other, uh, either a puppy that seems really nice and calm and chill, and that might change quite quickly within, you know, the next couple of days or even the next couple of weeks as they get older. It's normal Mm -hmm. for puppies to be a lot sleepier when they're around eight weeks old. And then as they get a little bit older, they get more alert. Um, Or you might have a puppy that even seems totally wild. Yeah, totally. I know when I, the day that I was bringing Niffler home, we had a six hour drive home from the breeder and he Mm -hmm. was really subdued throughout most of it. He he did cry in the car for the first 20 minutes or so. And it was pretty, pretty intense crying. So that was a bummer, but he quieted down. And then after that, every potty break and whatever, he was, you know, pretty subdued. He really kind of wanted to just stay close to us, was kind of just watching Barley around. And that is not really his, his true personality. Um, so. Yeah, I get a we get a lot of people in puppy class where they they've kind of just gotten the puppy and they're like, "Wow, it's so calm." I'm like, "Just wait." <laughs> and two yeah. weeks later, they're, they're like, "What happened to my nice calm puppy?" I'm like, "Surprise!" Yeah. I told you. <laughs> they wake up. Yeah, definitely. So what are some of the things that you would suggest to help make that that transition, you know, either from the moment you're picking a puppy up or in those first couple days to help make that transition a little bit easier for the puppy? So that's a really good question. Um, I think what it's going to be a lot easier if you've gotten your puppy from a breeder or a rescue, a rescue group that has sort of prepared them, like started some crate conditioning um, and, you know, sort of having them learn to be separated from their litter mates 
already um because if they haven't then all of a sudden we're completely turning them upside down and we're like hey you know you're going to go in this kennel and all of that and they're not used to it um so some things you can do to make the transition less stressful is maybe you could take some bedding uh from their previous home that has the scent of their family you can uh get from your vet or some pet stores there's a product called uh adap which is um adap is the main name brand you can buy a little collar or you can get a diffuser that you can plug into your wall or a spray and that is actually something called dog appeasing pheromone and that can <laughs> help to calm um, puppies and dogs in stressful situations so that's something that you could use to spray in the crate or to spray in their pen at home to help reduce stress um, the <laughs> other thing that you could do is have a good setup so that you don't need to you know necessarily put your puppy in a crate right away if they're not ready for that so that mm -hmm. would be having a nice puppy pen set up like i saw like you got for niffler with the crate mm -hmm. inside so that your puppy can be safely put away and you don't have to you know watch them all the time and they're not getting into trouble but they're not necessarily going to be have to be confined in the crate immediately and you can start conditioning the crate as a really happy comfortable relaxing place and you won't all of a sudden put your puppy into the crate close them in and then have them freak out because they're find and they don't understand that yet and you're leaving them perhaps leaving them alone then the other thing is to start to get them on um a bit of a regular schedule so that things are predictable um you know and just really being careful to manage them at home so that they're not constantly getting into things and getting into trouble and then having you get frustrated or upset with them so better mm -hmm. you know home management so that we're setting the puppy up for success yeah, I uh, I swear by my puppy palace is what I've been calling it. <laughs> um, I honestly cannot imagine raising Niffler without it. And we'll we'll have photos in um in the show notes for anyone who um hasn't seen it yet. And if you can hear yipping, that is Barley having a really intense dream <laughs> beneath me. Um, and um yeah, so we'll include photos. But it is it's basically it's a a pet gate kind of set up in a a corner. Um, there's some waterproof flooring underneath it, a crate, and the crate has the bed in it. So that's the only place he can go if he really wants to sleep on something nice and squishy. Um, it's full of all sorts of good stuff, um, and it's just so nice um, because I leave him alone in it, or when I'm recording a podcast all the time but he's got plenty of space versus kind of closing him to a crate which i don't think he's ready to be closed into a crate for the entirety of a podcast recording yet yeah and then you know you can slowly build that up and like mm -hmm. i usually start puppies sleeping in the crate but like right beside my bed so that i'm right there but like yeah. during the day you don't really want them to associate being crated with you leaving them Right. So that way the crate yeah. becomes the comfy resting place and you can gradually start closing the door and, you know, work on that at more at your puppy's pace. So it works really well. Um, I like to do that setup quite a bit. Um, we'll talk, I think, a little bit more about schedule a little bit later, but I, yeah. I love the, the, the playpen, the, pup, the puppy palace setup, as you call it. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really kind of a lifesaver. Um, so are there any skills that you like to start kind of working on with puppies right away in the home? You know, I think a lot of people might turn to thinking about sit or down or things like that. But um, I know a lot of trainers, myself included, that's not necessarily the top of my list. So what might be high on your list for those first couple hours or days or even week or two? Yeah, that's a good question. For me, I'm more looking at like getting the puppy comfortable in the crate um, you know, getting them on a schedule and focusing on house training. And then I like to work on, you know, more life and house manners. So teaching them to relax in the house when I'm relaxed. Um, and then I will start working on, um, I guess, you could call it more manding. So manding is like teaching the puppy to use a behavior to communicate when they want something. Um, so I use like a sit. So the puppy learns they can sit and look at me to ask for access to behaviors. So we'll start teaching that kind of thing. And then I do play around with like, you know, sitting down and hand target and stuff like that. But it's not, mm -hmm. the actual skills aren't huge priority for me. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, for, yeah, similar to what I've been doing, I think, yeah, it's a lot of 
capturing attention, you know, rewarding him for looking at me or checking in with me. Because if I can't get him to do that, I can't get him to do anything. Name games, um, you know, really, really basic stuff. I I found out today that uh, unless I am kneeling facing him, he doesn't know how to lie down still. Oh, Um, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah because you know he's little so i get down on my hands and knees when i'm luring him down and then uh even if i'm doing the same hand motion and i'm you know sitting or whatever i i can't get him to do it so and that's fine for me right now that's that's not a high priority um even with a 12 week old yeah um, name games are really good one um so that's something i might work on like you mentioned name game i might work on name game fairly quickly to be able to get the puppy's attention. Um, Especially if you want to use that as an interrupter, if maybe they're starting to get into something that they shouldn't Mm -hmm. be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to have a way to get your puppy's attention. Um, Obviously rewarding them when they do pay attention, but then those times where you also kind of need a way to, to get their attention if you don't currently have it. Yeah, exactly. So are there any things that you think of when, you know, there might be a cause for concern if you spot them in a new puppy, given that there's such a wide variety in what new puppy behavior could look like? Is there anything that you might hear that would have you a little bit more worried if it came from a client or a friend? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can think of several things actually off the top of my head. Um, So definitely if we're seeing uh, resource guarding, so any type of of growling or showing possession around food, food bowl or treats, um, puppies that are extremely fearful either inside or outside. So any um, noise sensitivity, fear of people, like just seemingly general, generally nervous. Um, other things are puppies that really are, you know, intolerant and can can get aggressive when being handled. So like, say if you're holding them or picking them up or touching their feet and they're showing, um, a disproportionate response to that. And then Mm -hmm. the other thing that can be fairly concerning is puppies that really struggle with being confined. Um, so puppies that might get upset even being in a pen and you're just on the other side of that, or if they panic when they're crated, if they're, you know, not settling in the crate at night, um, anything like that definitely is concerning. Yeah, definitely. And, um, yeah, I know that was actually the, the first and most concerning thing I saw from Niffler when I first brought him home was, um, his breeder did a ton of awesome barrier challenges with the puppies and teaching them to, you know, make their way around a C-shaped X-pen to go find their food and, you know, problem solving and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I really noticed, um, the first week or so when I got him home, he seemed very frustrated by the puppy palace. And my guess is that he thought that it was another barrier challenge that he just couldn't figure out. Um, And that was, you know, something that I noticed right away that it was like, oh, that's not normal. And that's kind of a heightened response. So we were able to kind of correct that right away. So I think it's important for our listeners to, you know, if you notice something like that, it's worth videoing it and talking to a trainer about it sooner rather than later, because um, if you can kind of nip a lot of these things in the bud really early on, it's going to be much easier versus kind of waiting to see if they grow out of it and then having mm-hmm. a serious problem when the dog's a year old. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like a lot of the stuff, especially if you have a puppy who's nervous around people, you want to be able to get them out. And, you know, it's it's one of those things that's tricky to do in a pandemic um yeah but you know there definitely are ways to socialize your puppy to people that are safe that can involve social distancing because the cool thing with socializing Mm -hmm. is they don't necessarily have to meet a bunch of people they just need to see Mm -hmm. them right so you can do that at a distance um but if it's available in your area there are um you know really great puppy socialization classes that can help to do a lot of confidence building if you have a puppy who is nervous of sounds or objects or surfaces. And uh, if you don't have in-person classes available right now, there are lots of people who are doing really, really great Mm -hmm. online classes um, that are sort of designed to be done from home. So there's lots of options. Yeah, yeah. I've lately my favorite socialization outing that we've been doing with Niffler, which is quite COVID friendly, depending on where you are in the world, um, is I've been doing track workouts once a week, um, Mm. which are not my favorite thing for my legs, but um, they're great for socialization. I've been taking Niffler on a 30 foot long line, tying him to the football goalpost that's in the middle of the track. 
Um, he and Barley kind of hang out in the center while I run my laps. Um, and they just get to kind of watch the world go by. There's a riverfront path that passes a couple hundred yards away, or maybe not a couple hundred yards, but a distance away that is close enough where they're definitely seeing the bikes and the strollers and the people running their dogs, but they're far enough away that um, if I'm on the opposite end of the 400 meter track, I'm not worried that they're getting accosted by anyone or um, overly worried. It's been really, really nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I mean, I'm a big fan of that style of like passive socialization. Uh, I think at some point along the way, socialization got to mean like your dog needs to meet every person and your dog needs to meet every dog, but they just need to see them. Like the whole concept of socializing mm -hmm. is just, hey, you need to recognize that this is normal and this is safe so that when, you know, your brain starts to change into your adult brain, you're going to recognize that that's, it's not novel. It's not a threat, right? So yeah. just getting exposed to all this stuff so that they recognize that it's a normal thing. They don't have to mm -hmm. meet everybody. You know, I do have a puppy that I'm training right now that is a little people shy. Um, so she actually needs to have positive interactions greeting people. So like today yeah. I sat with her in my pet store and waited for people to come in and said, hey, you know, do you want to like meet her? She's a little shy. So we want to let her come up to you. Um, and then you're going to give her some treats, but we can do that, you know, masked and six feet away as well too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's really, and we've got a whole other episode on socialization that's yeah. coming out around this time. But, um, you know, I'll just say again, I find it really helpful when thinking about socializing to, you know, just generally think about what you're, you want your dog's response to be when they see a person or dog. And for most people, that's not hauling you over mm -hmm. at 100 miles an hour to go jump on them and lick their face. Um, I would really like my dog to kind of see a person or dog and go, okay, that's fine. You know, I just keep walking. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're seeing excessive fear, that's, uh, that's certainly a cause for concern, but I think also really encouraging constant over enthusiastic greetings is not helpful yeah. either. Oh, I thought of something else that could be mm -hmm. concerning. Um, puppies yeah. that don't settle that seem like hyper aroused or hyperactive could be something that could be, um, a bit, of a cause for concern. It might just, again, be a puppy that needs a little bit more rest and structure, but it could be something that is a little bit deeper than that. Yeah, certainly. And I think that is one that is really hard for first time puppy owners yes. to recognize. I know even with Niffler, um, cause I, as I said, I'm not a super experienced puppy raiser. There've been a couple of times where I've been kind of watching him and being like, is he hyperactive or is he just kind of a normal sport dog or is he tired or, you know, Yeah trying to figure all of that out and um you know it's nuanced whether your puppy needs more exercise or whether they need a nap um because it can look really similar as far as how to describe it i feel like when i see it i know the difference but it's mm -hmm. often really challenging to describe that difference to clients right and if you don't have a baseline of like i can't tell you how many puppies i've i've trained and raised and like i have a better barometer of what's normal and what's not if you don't have mm -hmm. that baseline of like raising a ton of puppies it's your first puppy i mean how are you going to know what's normal and abnormal right yeah absolutely i mean a niffler is my first kind of sport or working puppy like mm -hmm. i've fostered plenty of dogs before but they were you know uh i had a boxer i had a litter of husky doberman mixes um which were very cute um, uh, but yeah they were none of them were kind of a a working dog that was bred to be at like a different end of the scale um so there was a lot of still kind of questioning for me um so you know, they're all individual. Mm -hmm. um, when I got my Aussie brew, he yeah. was really hard to get to settle. And like, I would say abnormal, but if he had been in a pet home, it would have been probably pretty concerning. We had to work really hard to get him crate conditioned and conditioned to relax in the house. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's talk a little bit about scheduling. And I think before we kind of go into an actual, some of your actual tips for building Let's Schedule, let's talk about, mm -hmm. you know, how scheduling your day and scheduling your life with your puppy can be so helpful and why, why it's so important. Yeah, um, I think like in general, when you talk about putting your puppy on a schedule or a routine, for one, I think dogs really do well 
With schedule routine, like things being predictable helps them to reduce stress and anxiety. So that's one good reason. But then also kind of knowing when your puppy is going to maybe have to go to the bathroom is super helpful. So knowing sort of when they've had food and when they've had water and when they might have to go to the bathroom is really useful. And also like for me, I find when I'm taking care of a puppy or I'm raising a puppy, I'm like, okay, you know, like I know I just had a little guy named Gary. So I know Gary's going to need a nap at you know this time so i'm going to put him in his crate and then i'm going to go you know shower and get ready for my day while he's napping so you can sort of utilize their their napping schedule and go okay i know that they're going to be away they're going to rest they're not going to be you know getting into trouble i'm going to use that time to do things that i cannot do while i'm watching the puppy yeah, yeah, exactly. As I, you know, quietly try to let my puppy out um, because he ate dinner, took a nap, did a little bit of playing, went out, napped again, played a little good bit again, and now he needs to go out again. Um, I just kind of saw him come out of his crate, and that means he needs to go out. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's really important. And it's, I've been astonished how all consuming it is and how much my life just feels interrupted um like i can kind of look back on each week and be like wow i got a lot done but each day feels very disjointed because i'm kind of having to be interrupted a lot i think that's a common sentiment i hear from puppy owners so i think i wonder if i would feel less stressed if i wrote out the schedule ahead of time and kind of knew more ahead of time instead of i've been very much so going based on feel um Mm -hmm. And I I wonder if that would be less stressful for me or for other puppy owners as well. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, like I said, I've raised a lot of puppies. um, Mm -hmm. And what I tend to do for a schedule is like roughly a three hour rotation. Um, And sometimes young puppies are going to need like extra potty breaks thrown in there but you know by the time they're a little bit older it gets them down to you know going out to go to the bathroom once every three hours which is really cool and I usually put like a potty pad down just in case so at least if they do have an accident they're going to do it there but I don't like those to be the main source of going, mm-hmm. you know, using for, for potty training. I prefer to train them to go outside. Um, but what I tend to do is um, I do use it again, as long as they're adjusting to the crate fairly well, um, I will use the crate for nap time. Um, but what I usually start with is they, they, so they come out of the crate, they go right out for a potty break. Mm -hmm. If they do their business, then they can have some free time. So when we talk about free time, for me, that's direct interaction with the puppy. So two eyes on you, we're playing, we're doing training, you know, maybe you're having some breakfast, but I am directly interacting with you. And that can be anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes. If we're going to do a full three hours, then of course it's like going to be more like 60. Um, And then the next phase is to go, okay, this is kind of wind down time. So now you're going to go, I tend to use a tether quite a bit. So a tether is just a leash or a cable that's hooked up to something uh, that the puppy can't drag around. So what you're doing with that is you're going to say, okay, I'm going to clip you up and I'm going to hang out near you so I can still kind of watch you and make sure you're not eating the couch or eating the carpet or getting into trouble. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a chew. Uh, You can have access to your toys, but you're going to kind of like sort of wind down and amuse yourself now. So we've had our play, we've had our training, you've gotten your energy out, we're going to chill out for a little while. You can, like I said, you can chew on a bone, you can um, play with your toys, you do have the ability and the freedom to move within that area as much as you want, but you can't sort of just run off and get into trouble. Um, You can't run off and have accidents. Um, But if you want to rest, you can. And that sort of starts to tend to teach them to sort of learn to wind down and condition them that when I'm sitting and hanging out, you know, you're going to sort of chill out too. It's not active, crazy playtime. And um, if they do fall asleep at any time during that, usually what I'll do is I will scoop them up and um, put them in their crate so that they are associating the crate with rest and calm and sleeping and not being upset and trying to get out. And then after up to an hour of being on the tether, 
then um, usually they're pretty tired. So I will put them in their crate and um, I just make sure that I stay relatively close so that they don't, mm -hmm. uh, they don't associate going in the crate means that I'm going to leave or they're going to be abandoned. So I'll put them in the crate usually with their a meal um, in a puzzle toy or something like that. So they can work at their food and then they usually just pass right out. So they're in the crate yeah. for about an hour. Um, sometimes I find on the afternoon cycle of this, they want to sleep longer. So that's fine. Mm -hmm. If they're, if they are sleeping, you can leave them in a little bit longer, but they tend to nap about an hour and then you'll sort of hear them make little sounds and it's time to take them out for another potty break. And then you repeat that. So it works yeah. fairly well with a work schedule. If you have a walker, uh, because the walker is going to come midday, take the puppy out. They have that kind of couple of, um, hours uh they can go in a pen as well instead of the tether uh mm -hmm. if you you know maybe don't have time to sit with them while they're on the tether so like i tend to um, do a little bit of playtime in the morning and then pop them on a tether and sit and drink my coffee <laughs> yeah. and then they go have breakfast in their crate and they'll eat and nap and then while they're in there i'll go and shower and do all that stuff so i flex it a little bit in the morning yeah. so you don't have to do like a strict three hour rotation, but in general, I'm trying to do, okay, you've been up for two hours. You need to go down for a nap now for an hour. And a lot of puppies yeah. won't do that nap unless they do sort of go in the comfy, quiet covered area. And for most pups, you can start crate, you can start doing the crate door closed. Um, at that time because they're already tired and again we're not leaving them alone we're gonna hang out pretty close um, yeah. and as long as they fall asleep you can kind of leave the room and go do some stuff but you just don't want to be like hey i'm putting you in here and i'm a and letting them see you yeah and then i'm leaving right, right away. away and then they panic so as long as they go to sleep you can leave you can putter around and do that um but you can sub in the pen for tether if you're not going to be you know close by and be able to supervise yeah, yeah, that's definitely what I've been doing. And I, it's actually really interesting as you kind of describe this, how closely it's been mirroring what I've been kind of doing. Um, I've been also relying more than I would necessarily recommend to everyone on um, letting Barley, my adult dog, play with the puppy for a mm -hmm. while. Um, partially because Barley has been really, really good with him, way better than I expected. I wrote multiple blog posts about how I was bringing home a puppy to a dog who doesn't like puppies. Um, and Barley has just decided to prove me wrong and be awesome with him. Um, I also live in a 300 square foot building that was originally constructed as a dog kennel. So I just have to do a lot less management than your average person. Yes. <laughs> um, so if people, you know, like follow me on Instagram and see that Niffler is getting more free time than I would necessarily mm -hmm. recommend for all puppies. But I do, I, you know, as soon as I start, as, as soon as Barley will usually give a correction or two, and that's the point where I separate them. Niffler goes and he'll, um, he's chewing on an antler on a ceramic bowl right now, um, which is classic uh, podcast behavior for the dog. Um, and yeah, he usually settles down really, really quickly and falls into that rhythm that you described really mm -hmm. nicely. Yeah. And I find that um, a lot of puppies don't just go and rest on their own. Um, yeah. I, some do, but I find a lot of my clients are really struggling with puppies that are probably overtired and very bitey. That's probably the biggest complaint that I get is my puppy is biting or my puppy, like they get overstimulated and they, they mm -hmm. describe like a puppy that will just get up and launch across the room at them. And, uh, if they, like pretty well without fail, if they start doing this schedule or similar, they see huge changes. Um, yeah, so definitely. making sure that they get enough rest is really important because if they don't get enough rest, then they get crazy, then they get bitey and you have all kinds of wild issues that can show up. Um, and definitely one of the biggest complaints that I get, I don't know about you is, is bitey, like really mouthy yeah. bitey puppies. And, um, you know, some nipping is normal. Like some yeah, nipping is normal, definitely. but that crazy, wild, like insane, like biting at pant legs, just wildly over aroused mouthing at everything is not normal. And that is mm -hmm. usually a sign that they need more sleep. Or if you have the puppies who they go like 6 to 8 p.m., they absolutely go bonkers. <laughs> that's usually a sign, too, that they haven't gotten enough rest during the day. Yeah, yeah, like definitely. That, that crazy I've, I've, hour. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, no, I think I, I've seen the same thing where I get a ton of inquiries about it. And I think part of the, the struggle for a lot of people is a lot of the advice out there is like, oh, your puppy is biting because he's bored mm-hmm. or because he needs more exercise. And a lot of times I think it is the opposite, particularly for really young puppies. Yeah. Um, you know, if you've got an eight month old Malinois who's mouthing at you, that's a little bit different. We're not quite talking to you right mm-hmm. now. Um, but your your eight week old, twelve week old puppy, um, it's probably nap time, and that's yeah. that's the problem. Like we, so we just were puppy sitting. He's a French bulldog, Boston Terrier cross, and um, they've been in my puppy class, so they should know the schedule. But whether they actually looked into it and started applying it, I don't know. But we mm-hmm. started doing that with him where, you know, he would get some free time and some play time and he could play with the other dogs and terrorize everybody in the house. And then we would put him on a tether, which also for me, as you know, a puppy owner, or a puppy raiser means that I can relax a little bit and I don't have to be, you know, on my toes and ready to grab that puppy for two hours. So yeah. I love to do a tether where I can just go, okay, I know you can't really get into trouble. I can watch you. We're still close by but I can sit and drink my coffee or do some emails and you know you can't get into too much trouble and then as he would be on the tether you could see him like oh after a couple of days he would start to lie you know sort of gradually settle down and then he would fall asleep on the tether whereas the first couple of days he was just like ping-ponging on it like he would just go Mm -hmm. higher and higher and higher and higher and then we'd put him in for a nap and he'd protest for a couple of minutes and then he'd just pass out so he was so Mm -hmm. tired that he didn't even you know he would just fight it and then he'd just crash but once we got him on that schedule for a couple of days he started to relax just before nap time and he'd actually go to sleep on the tether and then we could put him in the crate and he would go to sleep really well so he started to kind of modulate his energy level and instead of just being constantly overstimulated he'd actually start to bring his energy level down which is sort of what we want to see is that they learn to settle right because i like my dogs to know if i'm just chill and doing nothing you can also be chill and doing nothing the downside of that is when you stand up and close the laptop they go woohoo we're going places (laughs) i noticed earlier today that i i must and most Zoom calls and most podcast recordings in a similar way. Um, I was wrapping up another podcast recording earlier today, and I had not started making any moves yet, but Barley had come over and placed a toy in my lap. Um, as I was like, okay, yeah, you, you study my patterns way more than I study yours. It's so funny. Um, like, this is like, it's unrelated, but kind of related. The dogs are usually um, at work with us in our pet store. And they just, you know, they sleep all day back there and they're super chill, especially um, Dexter, who's, he's almost 11 years old. But he knows the sound when we're doing the cash out and when we finish and close the safe and put the safe away, he's like, okay, I know we're done and he'll, he'll hop up and be ready to go upstairs. It's super funny, but they pick up on those sounds and those movements and, you know, things that you do that you don't realize are habitual, but they pick it up. Yeah, definitely. So we're going to take a super quick break and then come back a little bit more to talk about helping make your puppy comfy and getting them to settle a little bit more um, and then tackle some of our patron questions. So. This podcast is supported by the Journey Dog Training um, Puppy Raising Blueprint course. If you're feeling lost with puppy raising, you can check out the course at journeydogtraining.com slash blueprint. The full course covers topics ranging from common problem behaviors and socialization to the humane hierarchy of dog training. It's all taught by yours truly, Kayla Fratt. And if you need more personalized training support, you can check out all of the other options available on journeydogtraining.com. So let's talk a little bit, I think we've already touched on it, but, you know, ways to help make the puppy feel comfortable and feel ready to take um, take this rest when we um, are really trying to encourage that for, you know, their brain and their body's growth and also for our own sanity. Um, what are some of our favorite ways to help set that up? Yeah, so, I mean, I kind of already talked about that schedule that sort of primes them to go from active to settling to sleep. So that helps a lot making sure that the the sleeping area is comfortable for them you could definitely use that dap collar or dap spray or dap diffuser that we talked about Um, and one of the other things that i like to do 
is that when it's time to sort of settle down, I'll give you something to chew on. So that could be, you know, in your second cycle, it can be in the pen or when you're on the tether, giving you a bully stick or a, a puppy safe chew. And then when it's time for you to sort of go and have your rest um, in your crate, you can have a, a meal in a a Kong or a puppy safe food toy, or you could even do like um, something spread on a licky mat to sort of mm -hmm. eat and soothe and kind of work through that meal. And that helps them usually wind down um, and kind of calm their brain down. And usually they will go to sleep. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think one of the things I've found is that, you know, each dog or puppy is a little bit different as far mm -hmm. as what they consider comfortable. You know, some dogs really like a covered crate and some prefer not. And some dogs really like huge squishy beds with big bolsters and others would rather have a, you know, a cold, hard plastic base. Um, yeah, so kind depends. of paying attention. It depends a lot if they run hot, right? Or yeah. like, you know, the little Frenchie Boston that we had, they're always freezing. So he was like, put me in this tiny crate with a warm bed and cover it up so it becomes a sauna. And he's like, I will be so happy. <laughs> you just hear him like snoring away in there. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah, versus, yeah, my long haired border collie. Um, I've, he's been known to have a comfy bed in his crate and the bed he has is even a cooling bed and he will dig up under it and mm -hmm. then like fall asleep under the bed on the hard surface, you know? Um, so people always kind of look at me sideways, not always, but I've had people kind of look at me sideways where they're like, there's not a bed in your dog's crate. Does he eat it? Is he not potty trained? And I'm like, no, no, he just, that's it's like what it. he prefers. Yeah. yeah. It's his bedroom. He can do what he wants. And one of the things, too, that I was just thinking of is, um, like, if we're talking bedtime, like actual bedtime, bedtime, I mentioned this before, but I like to start with the crate, like, right beside my bed so that they don't yeah. feel like they're alone because they're not used to being alone. And then that way, if they yeah. are a little bit worried, I can be like, hey, it's okay, I'm just right here. And so I think yeah. that helps them settle into sleeping at nighttime quite a bit better. Um, and then when we're talking about our, our puppy palace or our, our you know, crating area that we're using for nap time during the day, I think that that should be kind of in the main living area as well. So that you yeah. can be close by and they don't feel alone and separate from everything because that can be a big problem. And sometimes I have clients that are really set on having the puppy's crate like in the garage or laundry room or whatever. And I'm like, you know, I think we, you have to compromise with me here. Like we can work up to that, but this is a baby. Like we're talking about a baby, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's not really fair to say, Hey, you're going to be alone in here when you don't even understand what being in this box is and you're not even comfortable in it. And then you have to be totally all by yourself too. Yeah. So I think starting with getting them comfortable in it and they're involved in the main living area and they kind of know where you are and they're not feeling so segregated and lonely is really important. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, yeah. And, and it's okay. You know, that's, if, if we need to work up to um, a creating situation that's more like that, that's fine. But um, starting there with a brand new baby is, is really tough. I had Niffler's crate on my bed for the first mm -hmm. four or five days. Then we moved to right next to the bed, but on the floor. Um, and he's now pretty happy actually sleeping all the way across. Um, yeah, again, I'm in a 300 square foot cottage, so he can only yeah. get so far away from me. Um, but uh, yeah, it took a little bit to get up to that. Um, and that's, you know, that's okay. It takes a while. They're babies. Yeah, they're babies. So, and we're going to have a whole other podcast kind of all about crate training and yeah. long time. Um, but, you know, do you have any tips for kind of knowing when a when you might want to let a puppy out um, versus when you might want to kind of wait through a little bit of fussing mm -hmm. or kind of what your, what your thoughts are there? Yeah. So, I mean, a little bit of fussing is not unusual and it's not necessarily mm -hmm. a problem. I think a lot of people might jump the gun and let their puppy out too quickly if they whine at all. So I will usually kind of wait. I think they should be settling like generally within five to 10 minutes. Um, if you're sort of there and if they're tired and you know, they're not 
really wound up and you're just putting them in the kennel. Um, if you're not seeing that or if you're seeing extreme panic, so extreme panic would be like biting the bars, clawing, trying to get out, screaming or excessive vocalizing. Um, if you're seeing any of that, um, that's where you might need to sort of come up with a bit of a specialized plan for crate training. Mm -hmm. But if your puppy's just, you know, whining and crying a little bit and fussing and maybe they'll fidget and lay down and then they'll get up and whine a little bit, that's pretty normal. So that's the yeah. kind of stuff that I go, okay, you know what? I'm here. Just relax. You're fine. Go to sleep. Mm -hmm. I don't let them out for that. But if I have a puppy who's panicking, um, it like again, if you're seeing some of that like digging, clawing, screaming, um, really excessive high-pitched continual vocalizing or biting at the bars, generally that is not going to be resolved by just letting them cry it out. Yeah. I'm not a yeah. big fan of like the cry it out approach, but I think it's good it's important to explain that some whining is going to be normal and you, yeah. should, you should work through that like it's pretty rare to get a puppy that just right away goes into the crate and sleeps right away my dexter was like that but he's perfect <laughs> you know it's pretty, we rare. That. it's pretty rare to get that it's more common to have puppies like just like with a little kid they're gonna fight their nap you know, yeah. I don't want to have a nap. I don't want to go to bed. And that little bit of kind of whining or fussing is normal. And I just help. I'm just like, hey, it's okay. I'm here. Like I use a soothing voice. I'll stick my fingers in the bars of the crate and just sort of help them work through it. But I generally yeah. don't let them out for that. Do you find that you're kind of the same? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, I, I really like, um, you know, not being as, as gentle and kind and choice-based with crate training as possible. But I think, as you said, like expecting no vocalization at all is probably pretty unrealistic mm -hmm. for a little puppy. And I've, I've actually been really thinking about trying to make some recordings of Niffler so that I could actually like send them to people or put them in a blog post of, you know, these are some of the different types of vocalizations yeah. we're hearing. Um, and this is how I'm deciding to handle it. Um, he does a lot of these kind of like yawn whines um, where, and that's usually a pretty good sign for me that he's either winding down in intensity or just isn't all that upset in the first place. Um, and he did actually do some digging at the bars and stuff when I first got him. Mm -hmm. um, but he looked almost relaxed. It almost looked like a game to him. So again, there's a lot of kind of art in a lot of this. Yeah. Um, and I, I was kind of differentiating between like there's a little there's a little bit of fussing that's definitely something I'm ignoring um, in most cases there's panic which I'm certainly going to go in and help my puppy through mm -hmm. um, and release them and do whatever we need to do and then there's more of kind of like frustration like almost yes. angry puppy um, and that is a little bit harder to figure out how to deal with um, a lot of times with Niffler I was then you know figuring out a way to lower criteria but not necessarily rewarding that mm -hmm. um, well so you know and I'm really excited for um, the guest we've got for our creating article our creating um, episode it's I think it's gonna be really good and we're gonna get through a lot of this sort of stuff in a yeah, lot more detail. and you can certainly go through an hour because there's actually a lot to it right it's yeah. um, simple but not um, especially if you and have I think a there's a lot of a little difficult right yeah, and I think there's a lot of good resources out there that help you get your puppy into the crate. Mm -hmm. And then there's not a lot for getting the puppy from into the crate and maybe napping in the crate actually up to being able to be crated yes. for a longer period of time. Yeah. I, I feel like every time I, I look into crating stuff, there's a ton of stuff about how to get them in. And it's like, okay, great, they're in. That's not the problem. Yeah. It's it's how to make it over some whatever the time hump is for you mm -hmm. and your particular puppy. And I've worked with quite a few puppies that are really, really like concerningly um, panicked when it comes to being confined. And one of the most successful things that I've found is going back to the schedule is to going through that where, you know, we do a lot of play, we do our wind down time. And then once they are actually tired, like once that puppy is actually tired, like if I, if they 
say we're on tether time, which they should be um, after playtime, or they're in the pen, if they, but if it's a, probably a puppy that's really that confinement phobic, a pen's not going to work for them because that freaks them out too, right? Um, mm -hmm. Any barrier. Um, so say they're on the tether and they start to fall asleep, then I will like, I'll pick them up and I'll put them in the crate and I close the door and I sit just right in front and they're probably going to wake up and go, Oh no, I'm in here. But because they're so tired, if you just kind of go, Hey, little puppy, you know, I'm here, you're fine. You might have a little bit of fussing, but they will go to sleep. And then you're reconditioning them that the crate is, is rest. It's safety. Mm -hmm. um, it's not um, scary. It's not panic inducing. And it, it actually works really well. Like I had a puppy that was so bad that we, the owners and I were concerned that she might need medication. Um, and mm -hmm. within a week, I did a board and train with her for a week. And within a week, I got her sleeping comfortably in the crate and to the point where she would seek out the crate to rest. Yeah. yeah and we that's were able perfect. to like create her at home. It transferred over and like she could be left alone in it. So it was really, really, really dramatic. And it just was like absolutely kind of turning the tables on that and reconditioning her that that was a rest place. Everybody might not work out that way, but with her, it worked really, really well. Yeah, yeah, that definitely makes sense. You know, I mean, it's all part of, you know, making sure that the puppy is ready to be in there mm -hmm. um, rather than fighting whatever their natural energy level is at the moment. And then again, just staying close by so that we're not yeah. compounding that issue by, you know, increasing the panic by the crate getting conditioned as this is, I'm alone. This is, this is a precursor to being left alone. This is a yeah. precursor to my people leaving me um so you i'm sure that will come up more in your great training episode but i i guess we've mentioned it a couple of times <laughs> yeah but it's a, it's a really important point that i think a lot of people overlook because it's like okay i'm gonna go do this thing so now i'm putting the puppy in the crate and it's like what what is the lesson you're teaching your puppy there about going in the crate it's really easy to accidentally create crate anxiety that way um and uh, it's something that people don't think about if you, it's something you don't know about you're like i'm going to use the crate when i can't watch my puppy which is when i'm going to leave so it's it's really a normal thought process but um it can very easily create crate anxiety so having the crate as part of that regular schedule where you're not leaving them, you're kind of hanging around, means that if you do eventually want to leave them alone in their crate for a little while, they're not conditioned to be panicked about being in the crate. It's just normal. I go in here, I nap in here, I eat in here. It's a, it's a cool spot. It's my comfy spot. And they're not upset by that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, we're going to we'll pivot a little bit to talking about, you know, scheduling. Um, I'm going to basically link in the show notes. I wrote a blog post that basically took you like half hour by half hour through my first 24 to 36 hours with Niffler. I'm going to read out some of the main points from that article and then you'll find it linked in the show notes. And then we've got a couple patron questions. Um, if you don't have anything else to add before we pivot a little bit. No, I think that's good. I think we've I think we've covered everything that I had thought about unless if you have any questions that have popped up for you. I think, no, I think I've asked. Yeah, I think I've asked them as they've come up. Um, so again, I'm going to kind of go through some of these bullet points. If you want to see the literal like timeline of how I handled the first 24 hours with Niffler, you can check that out. I might write another one of these blog posts now that I've had them for a month. So you can kind of see what the schedule has evolved into. But the main points from it are that I start leaving Niffler alone for a few minutes at a time pretty much right away. Um, and part of this is necessity because as I said, I live in a 300 square foot cottage. My kitchen and bathroom are in another building. Um, and that other building has eight dogs in it, not all of whom are friendly to puppies. So kind of by necessity, he was right away getting left alone for really small chunks of time. But I found that really helpful within four or five days, I was able to go for a 45 minute run without him. And he did not really vocalize at all because he was getting really used to it in really tiny chunks. Mm -hmm. That's interesting because that's like one way that I'll recommend if you have a dog with like maybe some minor separation anxiety to desensitize them is just to leave for super short periods and come back frequently. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's so part because it's just like, I mean, if I run out of water, I've got to leave the building um, and I can go and put him in the yard instead or, you know, I could in theory carry him with me if he really needed that. Um, but he generally didn't. And I, you know, I have a furbo, so I've been able to watch and he 
at first would kind of set up a notice. Um, and I was kind of ready to, you know, if I needed to, I could turn turn off the oven and run back in and rescue him if I needed. Um, but it was really, really nice to be able to do that right away. Yeah, and I think that's one thing that we didn't talk about, but should touch on that it is actually important to start to teach your puppy how to be alone. Um, yeah. So doing that in like frequent short absences versus, you know, creating them and then leaving for two hours is probably a better way to go. And like, I like your pen set up because you can leave him in there and then you don't have to worry about your crate getting poisoned. Um, exactly. Like yeah. I accidentally with my Aussie, he actually was, his breeder did a really good job with crate stuff and he slept great the first night I had him. And then the second day I crated him and left for two hours. It's not a dog that has separation anxiety at all, but he got frustrated because it wasn't, I wasn't doing that schedule at that time and he didn't mm -hmm. want to be in there and he got upset and he does have frustration and arousal issues because he's an Australian shepherd and it's common. And uh, yeah, mm -hmm. from, I had to really work really hard on getting him reconditioned back into the crate after that because yeah, he got definitely. Upset and it wasn't that I left him, but it was because he couldn't get out and he just hadn't experienced that yet because he wasn't ready. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's particularly important for our pandemic puppy listeners, which is, you know, the name of the podcast, although most of the stuff we've been talking about, hopefully people will find useful even post pandemic. Um, but yeah, you know, maybe just because your puppy can go with you to the bathroom every time you go and just because you're not going to work every day doesn't mean um, that it's helpful for your puppy to never, ever be left alone at all. Um, you know, it's great that we don't have to go from, okay, you brought your puppy home and now 48 hours later, because you got him on a Friday night. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to leave for a 10 hour work day. But also, you know, you don't want to have an eight month old or, a, you know, at this point, you could have a year and change old dog who's never been left alone for more than an hour while you go grocery shopping. Um, or maybe, you know, if you're in a place where you've, you've got a multi person household, you could easily have a dog who you got in March of last year and uh, has never been alone. Mm -hmm. um, so really, really helpful. Um, um, and as we've kind of touched on a couple times in this podcast, whenever I'm not playing with or training Niffler, he's in the pen. I don't think we need to uh, hit that much more, but, you know, he's he's contained um, whenever I'm not actively working with him. Yeah, puppy um, raising is all about, like, setting them up for success and preventing them from learning bad habits. So managing things with, like, crates and pens and tethers is super important. Yeah, yeah. And I think often a little bit underused, um, particularly the tethers and pens. Um, mm -hmm. I think people kind of think that their option is that their puppy is free or that their puppy is in the crate. And that is just not true and uh, unhelpful. It's a really, that's a really good way to make your puppy really hate the crate and your puppy learn that chewing on the coffee table is a great way to spend his afternoons. Mm -hmm. Um Another point is that even easy puppies have their vices. So Niffler hasn't had an accident yet. Um, as of when I was writing this, he's had a couple cents, but he's not very bitey. Um, so overall, he's been a really easy puppy. Um, but when I first put him in the pen um, and I was sitting more than a couple feet away, so his pen originally was right next to my desk. So I was like literally a foot from him. But when I first got him, if I put, um, put him in the pen and then went to sit on the couch, which is maybe 10 feet away, I would get 10 to 15 minutes of pretty frustrated screaming and barking. Um, so he doesn't do this when I'm totally gone or he didn't at the time. Um, if I was out of sight, it wasn't a problem. So it was more of like a frustration thing than an isolation or separation thing. Um, but just an important note that, you know, even like really easy, perfect puppies that you see on Instagram or social media probably still have their vices, mine included. Um, the other thing is that socialization and training are woven into the day in small chunks with the outline that Sarah gave us of a um, schedule that's going to happen really naturally. You know, neither one of us said that part of your puppy raising schedule is, you know, an hour long training class followed by an hour of socialization work. And that's it for the day. You're going to be a lot more successful doing 10, 15 minute things throughout the day versus even trying to do a single hour. Um, or 10 five-minute things throughout the day. You know, you, it could end up being less time ultimately throughout the day, but spread out more because they have such short attention spans at this age. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is in the first 24 hours, I really didn't get much done. Um, I literally think writing the blog post that I'm referencing is the only thing I made it through. Um, 
in those first 24 hours um just because i was still really getting used to it and i felt like i was kind of constantly jumping up and jumping down and trying to take care mm -hmm. of him and make sure that nothing was wrong um as we've settled into a routine that's not been true anymore but it's still it, it you know raising a puppy makes your schedule feel really disjointed um, the last thing, which again, we're going to hit on in our separate socialization episode is that socialization is absolutely not about other dogs. Um, Nifflers, uh, met Barley at the point of when I wrote this article and my roommates, ancient Papillons, she has a pair of Papillons that uh, turned 15 today. Um, and you know, Niffler in those first 24 hours, the socialization we were doing was, you know, I was, I carried him past the neighbor's horses um, and we played some music. And that was about all we did in the first 24 hours. Cause I also don't need to blow his mind when his whole world has already been turned upside down. Um, so again, you guys can read that full blog post later on um, in the, uh, I'll link it in the show notes. So I'm going to go ahead and read the Patreon questions. You can jump in as much as you feel comfortable, Sarah, and then I'll chime in um, at the end. Um, and, you know, as, as I think you and I made clear before we started recording, but I also want people to know, you know, these these questions were we're not going to answer them fully or completely. It's a it's a pretty short answer um, and we're going to do the best we can, given the fact that we're going to try to keep this podcast around an hour long. Um, so just know that this isn't the full story. So our first patron question is that, um, quote, my 14 week old puppy is severely possessive with his food and food bowl. When I go near him and his bowl, he doesn't growl or bite me, but he starts eating faster. He also growls and attacks my other dog when the other dog goes near the food and or food bowl. Yeah. So what are kind of your immediate suggestions there? Well, um, I'm pretty comfortable offering advice for the puppy who's guarding the food bowl from the owner. Um, like I, if someone came into my store and said, Hey, my puppy's doing this, I'd be like, Oh, try this. Like, um, there are some things where we want to be a little cautious as far as offering advice, um, with aggression mm -hmm. when we haven't done a full consultation, but with the yeah. puppy freezing at the food bowl or sorry, he's not freezing. He's eating faster. Right. But no growling. Yeah. Um, what I would suggest is just to do some straight up easy counter conditioning with that. So what you want to do mm -hmm. is have treats on you that are high value. So your puppy's going mm -hmm. to like them better than the food that's in his bowl and um, mm -hmm. just walk up, drop a couple of treats near or in the bowl and walk away. And just repeat that until what you'll note, what you should hopefully notice is that your puppy switches from, you know, hunkering down and eating faster when you come close to looking up happily expecting those better treats. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you can do uh, with adults or children. It's a safe exercise to do with children. If the dog is, um, you know, freezing by the food bowl or maybe doing some low level growling, but not don't do this if the dog is leaving the bowl to go after you. Um, but if right. the puppy is staying, that's where we go. Okay. You need to hire a trainer. Um, if the puppy is just kind of staying by the bowl and eating faster or showing some low level signs of guarding, absolutely grab some chicken, some cheese, walk by drop nearer in the bowl. And what you should start to see actually potentially relatively quickly is that the puppy's response changes from worrying and trying to consume faster or growling at you to happy to see you come by. So they might even lift their head out of their bowl. They might start wagging their tail. Um, but that's something that I, I recommend actually that everybody does with their puppy, whether you're seeing some concerning signs or not, just to make sure that they are comfortable with you walking by if they, if they've, if they're eating out of their food bowl, if they've got a bone, um, you know, even if they have a toy, you can do that. It's not a bad preventative exercise. As far yeah, as the dog attacking the other dog, um, I don't know about you, but I'm not super comfortable giving any detailed advice on that. This is something where yeah. I would say, hey, there's a lot of complex things going on here. You should probably hire a trainer. But what I would recommend is to just um, feed the dog separately. So either, yeah. you know, they're, they're both crated or the puppy is crated or they're in separate rooms so that that is just sort of not on the table. Um, yeah. So yeah. And the food bowl should go up when mealtime is over so that the puppy isn't uh, maybe getting aggressive over that. Um, definitely concerning if the puppy is aggressive over an empty food bowl. That tells me that maybe there's some arousal issues that need to be worked on as well. But I, I would recommend certainly hiring a trainer in this case yeah. to work with this person. 
Yeah, definitely. And it's, again, it's the sort of thing where it's a little concerning to see in a puppy this young. So definitely better to get a trainer on mm -hmm. board sooner rather than later. This is not something at all that I would recommend waiting no, to they, see how it They progresses. don't generally grow out of these kinds of things. They get worse. No. <laughs> and yeah. the sooner you start changing the, the response, the, the easier it will be. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and we'll we'll include in the show notes some links to um, we oh, canine or uh, <laughs> pandemic puppy, not canine conversations. That's the other podcast I host. Um, generally recommend IABC um, or cert. Uh, God, what is it? Certification Council for Professional Dog Trainer um, trainers. So we'll drop in links so that um, our listener or anyone else listening can find a trainer near them. Or um, you can obviously go ahead and hire someone remotely um, if that's something that's more comfortable. For comfortable for you given the pandemic. Um, although this is definitely the sort of thing where having an in-person trainer is going to be really, really helpful. Um, yeah. I just, um, I just started with someone with resource guarding and in virtual lessons and it's working really, really well though. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome to hear. Um, I haven't done a ton of it virtually yet. Um, and especially dog, dog stuff. It's just, it's always challenging because it's really hard to control the other dog. Um, you know, you've got two factors that are very hard to give instructions to instead of just one. All right, so our next one is a little bit easier um, or at least less severe, I suppose we could say. Um, so they write, my pup has finally figured out how to tell me when he needs to go outside. However, he has learned to exercise this new power whenever he is bored. How can I teach him that going outside for potty that going outside is for potty and not every time the neighbors make a sound. Yes. So I've definitely had this issue before. It's one of the reasons why I'm not actually a huge fan of doing bells to ring to go outside because I found that it just became a constant ringing of bells whenever we wanted to go outside for whatever reason. Um, so what I've done in the past is just kind of been like, okay, I know you don't have to go potty right now. So I'm just going to ignore that until I think it's more around potty time. So mm -hmm. that comes to knowing your puppy's schedule again. Um, and I, I don't know, like I've found when I do regular potty breaks and get puppies on a schedule once they're a little bit older, they don't necessarily need to know how to ask to go outside because I'm just going to take you out and you're going to go anyways. Um, mm -hmm. It is sort of nice because I my dogs don't, necessarily know how to ask um and like bruce almost seven and he'll just like stare at me but he i don't know what he's staring at me for <laughs> whereas like my other dog i can be like do you want to go out and he's like yes thank you um but they don't necessarily wake me up if they have to go out in the middle of the night but yeah. i don't know if ringing bells would help um but yeah just if you don't think they really have to go just ignore them or redirect them and take them out if it's close to potty time yeah, and if it is happening a lot when, you know, the neighbors make a sound or something, you could teach some sort of incompatible behavior. You know, if the neighbors are, you know, playing music or taking out their trash or whatever, you know, you can call your puppy over to you to eat a treat instead yeah, um, and kind of teach them something else to do in that exact moment. Um, one other thing that I would kind of uh, recommend is more supervised potty breaks where, um, so if you're not quite sure and you do think like, okay, he might need to go out, mm -hmm. you know, take him out on leash let him go to the bathroom and then you know either come back in or once he's gone to the bathroom then the fun can happen so yeah. i think this also happens a lot when you have a, a fenced backyard which is so convenient for puppy raising but um you kind of let your puppy out you don't really know whether they've gone or not they go out they kind of get to do their own thing mm -hmm. In, the, in that case, going out is going to be really highly reinforcing and they're yeah. really likely to ask for that over and over. But if ringing the, it, hypothetically, I'm also not a huge fan of bell training. I have not personally um, done it much and I haven't found it all. I've, I think it tends to create this problem a lot. But I think hypothetically, if ringing the bell only ever got a really boring potty break right. and then coming back in and then maybe outdoor playtime happens on the human schedule, um, I think bell training would probably be more successful. Yeah. And that's a really good point too about potty breaks, going outside and watching your puppy and making sure you know that they go because otherwise they might be too distracted outside and then they come in and pee in the house, which is something I hear quite a bit. Um, and that way, if you go outside for 15 minutes and you know they don't pee, you can pop them back in their crate for 10 minutes and then keep taking them out until they go so that they learn that they go when they go outside and then they get to go back in and have fun. My last yeah. board and one of her biggest complaints was that he was peeing in the house 
he was going, this is not a puppy, this is an adult dog. He was going outside, literally pretending like he was going to the bathroom and then oh he didn't God. want to go outside. So he would like sniff around in the bushes and like even look almost like he was lifting his legs, but not go. I was like, how, oh are, you, how are you so sneaky? Like, how does this happen? Um, so important. But <laughs> I was like, hey, so he's just being a bit of a brat. He doesn't want to go outside. He prefer to go in the house because the weather's gross. So I said, just watch him when he goes outside. Make sure he goes. I haven't had a single accident and he's been fine. <laughs> And pretty quickly that yeah. behavior deteriorated where he was like, oh, this isn't going to work. She's going to watch me. I have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I know I'm guilty of it. I've got a backyard for the first time as a dog owner. And um, yeah, I'm totally guilty of kind of like letting Niffler out and Barley out. And I, you know, Barley's potty trained. I'm not worried about him. But then kind of sometimes Niffler will come back in and I've been like, hmm, I don't actually know if you went or not. Well, now I have to watch you. Darn it. <laughs> like it's, you know, it's, it's annoying. Um, so yeah, I think generally just, we, we gave a bunch of good tips there. So um, over the next couple episodes, we're going to cover socialization, developmental stages, chewing and nipping, all sorts of great stuff. So t stay tuned for all that. Um, so Sarah, where can people find you online if they're interested in working with you or hearing more about, um, what you're up to yeah i have i'm gonna plug a couple of things um because there's gonna be some content that i think might be helpful for people so i have Great. one one business um which is my kind of pet store doggy daycare training company called barks and recreation and i do mm -hmm. have some blog articles like i have a, a blog post on the puppy schedule that might be useful and the, that website is b n r bc.ca and then um also if people want to check out my podcast which is it's called hair of the dog which involves usually um us having a nice craft beer and talking about dog training so if that's some things you might be into we actually just um recently released one with michael shikashio about dog dog resource guarding so i thought about it with that um that last patreon question there if anybody's interested in learning more about that. Um, if anybody wants to get in touch with me, definitely through the Barks and Recreation. Um, I have services there. And I also, um, if anybody wants to look at my education for dog trainers, um, that's all posted on my website, which is Odyssey Animal Behavior, O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y, animalbehavior.com. Great. And I will have all of those links in the show notes, which you can find at journeydogtraining.com slash pandemic puppy, um, or just go to journeydogtraining.com and navigate over to podcasts or blogs. So uh, you'll be able to find it. Um, I hope <laughs> I've tried to make it easy. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe, review, and consider supporting the podcast and getting more access to um, us by joining our Patreon over at patreon.com slash pandemic puppy. You can sign up for that puppy raising blueprint course at journeydogtraining.com slash blueprint. And make sure you also sign up for that free pandemic puppy raising support group over on Facebook. If you are on Facebook, um, it's so helpful. All of the admins are professional trainers. Several of them are also breeders. Um, and it's just incredibly um, useful and full of good information. So cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Sarah. It was a lot of fun and um, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thanks for having me. I always like talking with you, Kayla. <laughs> <laughs>